I'm Dave Breckenridge, and you're listening to 10-3. MPs and cybersecurity officials are worried Canada's federal election slated for next fall could be at risk. Like with the 2016 U.S. presidential election, there are fears that foreign actors could try to influence our next election by using social media or that data breaches could be weaponized for political gain. We look at what specific concerns are being raised and what's being done in an attempt to prevent outside forces from subverting Canadian democracy. It's Thursday, December 20th. Before we get to our conversation about online threats to our democracy, I want to lighten the mood a bit by thanking all of you who have subscribed to the show so far. But we're certainly looking to grow in 2019, both in terms of audience and episodes. So if you haven't yet, please subscribe. If you have, great. Now spread the word to your friends. And if you want to reach out to me with feedback or ideas for a future show, you can find me on Twitter at BreckenridgeYEG or email me dbreckenridge at postmedia.com. I guess for me, being from Canada, we see ourselves as um, in the Westminster tradition, which is the heart of the democratic system to us in the West. Um, and the Westminster tradition has seen many threats and bumps and bruises over the, the centuries. We've never seen anything quite like Facebook, where while we were playing on our phones and apps, our democratic institutions, our form of civil conversation, seem to have been upended by frat boy billionaires from California. So Mr. Zuckerberg's decision not to appear here at Westminster to me speaks volumes. Stuart Thompson covers federal politics for the National Post. So Stuart, last week, NDP MP Charlie Angus said federal politicians uncovered, quote, a very dark and large and bizarre world of online political gamesmanship as a committee was investigating Facebook's role in this major data breach. What was it that these MPs were looking at? Uh, well, first of all, just hearing that back, kudos to Charlie Angus for once again being a good quote in a story. Um, but <laughs> he's really got a knack for laying it all out there. But this, So this uh, committee that he's a part of, he's actually vice chair, is the Privacy and Ethics Committee. And they have been investigating. They started off investigating the Cambridge Analytica breach, which, you know, at the time, it, it, was, it didn't seem like that big of a thing. Like, it was obviously a bad breach. There was 600,000 Canadians caught up in it. And there was something close to 90 million people across the world that were caught up in it. Um, mm -hmm. But there's been sort of a global investigation into this. And um, this, more than any committee investigation I've ever seen, has sprawled completely. Um, they, The Cambridge Analytica thing does seem to be some pretty nefarious activities where they were taking information from a researcher about people's uh, Facebook profiles and then using it for purposes that it shouldn't have been used for. Um, so that's bad, but I mean, it's not the kind of thing that would blow your mind if you heard about it as a news story. Um, it does seem though that Facebook was allowing this kind of access to a lot of people, a lot of businesses. And if you go back to the, uh, the 2012 presidential campaign in the US, the Obama campaign was actually bragging about doing similar activities that Cambridge Analytica was doing because they had this really uh, tech-heavy campaign and they were sort of warned by Facebook, we don't want to see you doing too much of this. And they said, okay, and they stopped. Um, so this kind of stuff has been going on in political operations for a long time. The thing the committee is starting to uncover is what is actually happening with this data? And there are companies devoted to scooping it up and selling it. There are companies that are scooping it up and giving it to political operations. And then, you know, we saw in 2016, there are state actors also who 
are looking to influence elections. And if it's something that a country is not prepared for, it can really make an impact. And I think that's what's sort of rattled a lot of these MPs is they've seen how vulnerable the country can be to this and how hard it is actually to defend from it. So how vulnerable is Canada to something like this? Well, it's a really great question. And the the way to know how hard of a question to answer it is, is if you look to the U.S., I mean, that is a pretty high-profile situation in 2016 where we know for sure that Russia was um, attempting to sway people in the election towards uh, the Trump campaign. And there was just recently a Senate intelligence report released um really delving into that. And it is just an absolutely massive operation. And we know what they were doing. What's hard to figure out is how much of an effect it was having, because if you vote one way or the other, I mean, I think most people couldn't necessarily tell you for sure what swayed them. And it might have been some online activity. It might have been, you know, some stuff they saw in the newspaper. It might have been a campaign ad, or it might have been just the economy was bad and they wanted change. So it's hard to really know what kind of effect this has. And we were at a, a press conference with the the head of Canada's Signals Intelligence um, Cyber Center, which is this new cybersecurity center they've started. And he said, you know, we still don't know. We don't know how much of an effect these kind of disinformation campaigns have. But what we do know is it's something that we don't want happening in our democracy. So they're going to be on guard about it. But I think the thing I've tried to convey in my reporting a little bit is that you need to look at this with some perspective, which is that if you look at a lot of these bots, they look very much like bots. They don't look like real people. Mm -hmm. They're amplifying messages that may not be all that convincing. So um, they may just be driving a point home to people who already believe it. They may be um, cementing people against that position because if you're a super left wing and you see a kind of aggressive right-wing message, it may push you more to the left. Uh, and that's something I think that we have to consider also. But uh, I think what I want people to take home is that most experts seem to, see, to seem to be saying that our democratic institutions are not under some kind of imminent threat, but there are activities that we should be paying attention to. Mm -hmm. Now, when you talk about these bot campaigns and then you talk about these uh, groups like Cambridge Analytica and the Facebook data breach, is there linkage between them? Like, is, is data being sold to groups who will use that information to promote these misinformation campaigns? Like, what is the the landscape in the digital sphere here? Yeah, there, I mean, at, at this point, there are some things that we know for sure. There are some things that we can assume are going on. And then there are things where you know, that it would be it would be extraordinary if they were going on. And I'm trying to, I, I like to try and separate those things. So we do know the social media stuff is happening. That is for sure happening. But that is pretty low rent stuff. Like the, the stuff that was happening in the 2016 election was, for example, there was, there's a group called the, the Internet Research Agency. And that was run by someone who's a good friend of Vladimir Putin. And 12 of those people who worked for the IRA, the Internet Research Agency, were indicted by um, the Mueller investigation. So we can say pretty safely that these people were involved in this kind of stuff. And we can say pretty safely that it was going on. Mm -hmm. um, but mainly what they were doing was they were creating 
memes or advertisements. They spent about $100,000 on advertisements that would try to depress turnout among African-American voters. And they were trying to make people on the left who maybe were sympathetic to Bernie Sanders just not want to vote for Hillary Clinton. So not necessarily to vote for Donald Trump, but they wanted them to kind of be depressed about the election and maybe not turn out to vote. And that, I mean, there's some sophistication there that they understood that that's how that would be a really effective thing to do during the campaign. But this wasn't some grand data operation. Okay. They weren't creating psychographic profiles of people, you know, that that kind of stuff. The the campaigns that are actual, you know, the party political campaigns, they're really interested in that stuff. They want to know who's voting and how they can be convinced. And there are people in the parties, you know, the liberals, the conservatives, the NDP, who are obsessed with that stuff. And that's going on. That's using data, but it's mainly their data that they collect from voters who give it to them. The major kind of data industrial complex that's going on, that's a commercial operation. It tends to be to convince people to buy things, less so than, you know, to vote one way or the other. So Mm -hmm. the political side of it is one thing, but I mean, the idea of getting you to buy a car or getting you to buy some jewelry, that's the kind of thing that's highly profitable. And it's it's kind of unnerving the way it's going on now. Uh, I, you know, it it just takes a 10 seconds of scrolling through your Facebook feed to see some of the the profiling or the the tracking. You go do a Google search for yeah. one product, then all of a sudden you have a promoted ad for it on your Facebook uh, thread uh, the next time you log in. Um, when it comes to some of these issues that the MPs were raising concerns about last week, what are they worried about heading into the 2019 election cycle? Yeah, there. so there are a few aspects here. Um, the thing that everyone seems to be pretty secure about is that our voting machines aren't at risk. And I think that's that's something that's been going on in the states because it's a state by state thing there. And, you know, one state can have a vastly different situation than the other than another state. Um, but in Canada, we use paper ballots. So it's a pretty hard thing to hack. And if you were to get hacked um, results or something like that, you would still have the paper ballots that you could then verify. So as far as the voting systems go, we're pretty safe. And I think that's the kind of thing that makes most people sleep well at night. Mm -hmm. The thing that I think is unnerving a lot of people is, you know, you could create an influence campaign. And I I think the thing that's most concerning is that the Russian campaign in the 2016 uh, American election was not really hidden at all. Like this was something that was pretty blatant. They didn't seem to care that it would be found out. And there are some people who suggest that they were hoping it would be found out because it's now created this big argument, this big situation in the U.S. where, you know, it kind of undermines democratic institutions, which since the days of the Cold War, Russia has been pretty interested in doing. Um, So I think the concerning thing is that there's some really flagrant abuse going on here. And if they're not concerned about being caught, I mean, they're willing to do more risky things. So that could be, for example, in the U.S., the Democratic um, chairman of the DNC, he had his email account hacked. And then all these embarrassing emails were sort of dripped out through WikiLeaks. And, you know, that I mean, these were true stories because they were coming from actual real emails. But it just created this harmful news cycle for the Democrats that they just couldn't get out from under. And 
that's the kind of thing that if you are a hostile nation state, you could see doing that and having a pretty good effect. And it's happened once. All they had to do was get John Podesta, this one guy, to click on a spear phishing link. And then that was it. So they could send out dozens or hundreds of those emails. And if one person clicks on them, you know, that's it. It's over. The other thing is these kind of social media influence campaigns. So if some, you know, outside actor decides they want Andrew Scheer or Justin Trudeau or Jagmeet Singh to win, then they could start spending money. They could be buying Facebook ads. They could be doing any number of things and not really be, it's like, it's hard to prosecute people when they're not in your borders. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the the liberals have created a bill, C-76, that it tries to clamp down on some of this stuff. But I mean, if people don't care about punishments and there aren't really much in the way of punishments in this bill, but even then, if they don't care, then there's not a lot you can really do other than get the word out and kind of push Canadians to maybe more of a, like a discerning eye when they read the news. We'll be right back. The National Post launched 20 years ago to be a distinctive and surprising voice in the media landscape. Though much has changed over the past two decades, what hasn't is the core appeal of a paper dedicated to conservative values, interesting voices, unique perspectives, and a sense of fun. Check out what you've been missing. Get 20% off a one-year subscription to the National Post with promo code HAPPY20. That's HAPPY20. Now, when you you talk about these campaigns from uh, state actors from other countries um, to potentially undermine the democratic process, when you look at Canada, is it just a, a sense of undermining faith in democracy here? It doesn't seem like there'd be any incentive to target Canada, given all you know. All of our political parties seem to be aligned against uh, the activities of a country like. Russia. What is the incentive to go after Canada in this case? Yeah, that's also a great question because it it sort of makes you look at the, the U.S. situation and realize how unique that was because the Republicans were very anti-Russia before Donald Trump came along. And they just had this sort of golden moment where they had a guy who, you know, was someone that they could, they maybe thought they had an ally in or whatever they thought. But, you know, Mitt Romney I remember during the 2012 campaign was going after Obama for not being tough enough on the Russians. And he was mocked for that. Yeah, he, he yeah. was absolutely mocked. Yeah. And, and that's that's something that we don't really have in Canada. Um, but you're right. I think you you probably nailed it there when you said the the biggest goal, I think, for the Russians is they want to make people lose faith in liberal democracy. I think and, you know, there's there's something that goes back through the Cold War where uh, and Vladimir Putin is a pretty good uh, guy to articulate these kind of uh, positions that he thinks that the West is kind of smug. And the way we look at our liberal democracies as something, you know, pure compared to the Russian example, um, it kind of irks them. And there's also geopolitical reasons for why you would want to do that. Um, so I think the best bet for them is to sow division. And if you look at what they did in the U.S., they were going after racial politics. And, you know, that's that's pretty smart. They know that's like a really hot spot in the U.S. And 
if you look at the ads they were funding and the groups they were starting on Facebook, there was something like 30 uh, pages on Facebook that were targeted African Americans. And, you know, comparatively, they only had seven targeted at the left and 25 targeted at the right. So they knew where they were going with it. And I think what they were trying to do was just create a really toxic political environment. Um, getting Trump elected, I think, was another main goal. But I think both those goals, you know, if you talk to the Russians before the election, I would imagine that just creating that toxic environment would have been fine. I don't think they really expected to get Donald Trump elected. Um, so that a similar thing could be happening here. And, you know, I'm also a web editor here at the National Post, so I look at Facebook mm -hmm. and some comments, you know, I was looking at an account this morning that was um, talking about immigration. And, you know, you click on the person's name, you know, it just is a profile picture of a pretty younger lady. And then if you reverse image search it, it's usually a stock photo. Yeah. And then entirely through the account, it's it's one web page and it's all about immigration. And it's highly suspicious. It's hard to say if it's Russians. It's hard to say if it's just some domestic political operator here. But, you know, this is the kind of thing that we'll be seeing more of. And it wouldn't surprise me if they sort of targeted immigration. We've got a lot of heated rhetoric right now about irregular migration and the UN compact on this. So if that's something they were targeting, targeting, it wouldn't surprise me. And that's exactly the kind of thing they were trying to do in the US, which is create a really heated argument and then drive people apart. And then, you know, once you start to get into that atmosphere in a democracy, you can see how people reacted to Trump winning. There's a lot of people who want to say that that election was illegitimate, maybe for genuine reasons, maybe it wasn't, but that's the kind of thing that is really toxic to a democracy is when people start saying, this person won, but they shouldn't have won, or it was an illegitimate victory. And I think that's that's really the end goal here is to make people completely lose faith in the winners and losers and how our democracy works. Yeah. I mean, in Canada, though, we've had those complaints after every uh, majority uh, government win when someone gets 40 percent of the vote, but wins like 60 percent of the seats in the House. Yeah, that's old hat for Canada. Yeah. Um, is it is it more of a concern with foreign actors getting involved or are there concerns with domestic players here? Yeah, we've actually had a lot of talk here about um, things like Ontario Proud uh, in Ontario. It, you always have to take these things with a grain of salt when, you know, some organization tells you how effective they were at getting someone elected. But, you know, they they spent about half a million dollars on the election. They have a massive Facebook following and they were they were putting across a message that was generally in favor of Doug Ford, but mostly anti Kathleen Wynne. And that this is the kind of thing that when you're on the left and a right wing group gets to be really effective and, you know, claims to sway the election one way or the other, then that makes you really uneasy. And if you're on the right and some left-wing group does that, that also makes you really uneasy. So the difficult thing is sort of separating out what we actually want going on during our election campaigns. So putting memes on Facebook, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Um, these groups are told to be completely transparent. So we recently found out all the donors to Ontario Proud and I think it was something like 90% corporate donors and the big ones were uh, developers in the province. So, you know, maybe that's not ideal for a lot of people who don't want that corporate money um, involved in the election. But 
you know, it's transparent. We know who's doing it. One of the bigger concerns that the liberals hope they've fixed with their recent um, elections bill, C-76, is foreign money coming into domestic charities and then being spent on, you know, one issue or one political party. So they've locked that down. Um, There's a little bit of a fear from some people that, you know, you could have a charity um, in Canada and you can have a wing of your charity in the U.S. or some other country and then you could still bring in that foreign money and work on issue-specific campaigns. So if you really hate the carbon tax or you really love the carbon tax, that's just an issue. And in the in the pre-election period, you could spend some money on ads for that issue. So when you start to lock down too much of this stuff, though, I think you do run into freedom of speech issues. So there's always this kind of push and pull that, you know, if you have $1,000 for an ad perhaps you should be able to buy an ad. Um, That that becomes a constitutional issue at that point. Okay. Now, looking toward the 2019 election campaign, what message do officials and politicians have for individual Canadians to be wary about these things? Yeah, the the main thing that people are saying, and I will preface this by saying that I have some friends who work in cybersecurity who... You know, I'm sure we've all seen those phishing emails where they say, uh, click this link really quickly because your password is compromised and we need you to put it in again. And they're clearly scams, but every now and then they do one sophisticated enough that it catches people. And I have friends in cybersecurity who say education campaigns are basically useless when you're running these kind of campaigns. So what these people are doing is they're just preying on us. It's a psychological trick they're using. And... You could do hours of education and they're still going to catch one person. And that's really all they ever need is to catch one person. So uh, there is some skepticism in the cybersecurity business about this. But what most of our officials are saying is that people need to be aware. They need to read the news with a really discerning eye. They need to make sure that they're skeptical and they're reading critically. Um, it's, It's a tough thing to do when you're on Facebook and you're just kind of scrolling through and then You know, I think we've all had that situation where someone we trust on Facebook posts something a little bit sketchy. And just because you trust that person and you know them and you know them to be a smart person, you're more inclined to believe it. And, you know, as journalists, we tend to be more skeptical than most people. So I I think if sometimes we're fooled, then, you know, you can only imagine, you know, just the average user skimming through is every now and then going to get some fake news in there. Um, So they really suggest that, if something seems too good to be true, or if someone thinks seems too shocking to be true, then give it another look. Um, and on top of that, you can be, I think, pretty assured that CSE and CSIS and all of the, you know, the RCMP, everyone who's working on this, it's going to be top of mind for them because you can see how uneasy the politicians are. And the last thing any government wants to do is get elected and then have there be questions about the election that got them elected. So, you know, they're optimists. They all think they're going to win. So I, I think there's some reason for them all to be right on top of this. And I, I think mostly what you'll see is these kind of education campaigns and then a lot of stuff happening behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Well, as as Charlie Angus said, it is a very dark and bizarre world that I think we're becoming more exposed to. Stuart, thanks for your time. Thank you. 
10-3 is produced by Carson Jarama. Special thanks to my guest, Stuart Thompson. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening.